we're talking about trials, you know, we've been talking about trials for the last couple of weeks, and, um, you know, I think we've already established something, we've just been reminded more than established, uh, the fact that trials are inevitable. You agree with that, right? I mean, if you breathe long enough, you're going to face trials, and um, it's not a matter of if you experience trials, uh, difficulties, or suffering, it's just a matter of when And uh, that's the topic that James begins his uh, little letter to these Christians. He says the Christians that are scattered throughout the world, the then-known world at that time. And so uh, that tells you that they were battling. They were struggling. Because the first thing he does, just right out of the gates, is he gets into this whole matter of of how to to deal with them, how to get through them, uh, how to face them. Several years ago, uh, my good friend and mentor, Bill Anderson, and I just so happened to connect in the Holy Land. He had brought a group there, and I had brought a group there, and we ended up, we were in the same hotel as it would be. And, and uh, so uh, at the end of one of our tour dates, we had decided, hey, let's go out on the town, just you and I go out on the town in Jerusalem, go to, to uh, kind of the downtown area of Jerusalem. And, um, and so our groups were in, and after, by the way, after a full day of touring, you're just exhausted. We all eat together, we have these great meals, we eat together, and then everybody's kind of free. Most people go back and collapse in their, in their uh, rooms. Uh, a lot of people wear t-shirts uh, after a day of touring over there, they find it by, it says, um, I ran today where Jesus walked, because there's just so much to take in. By the way, if you're interested, I'm working on a trip next spring. Uh, if you're interested in going to the Holy Land, but no, that's beside the point. Uh, so we're there, and so our people are in, in the hotel, and they've settled down for a long winter's nap, and uh, we decide to go. We're going to go to a mall. Believe it or not, in Jerusalem, there's the, there's a, a huge mall. I mean, it rivals anything that we have, three stories high, and and all the shops that you know we're used to, and all. This is more in the business sector of the city. So we decide, let's go to the mall. Let's go to uh, down down and spend hang out there and so we call a cab to come to the hotel and pick us up well the cab shows up it's a little Toyota Corolla and you know my size well he's a little bigger than me and so we're looking at this thing and by the way by the time we got in it it's like we're wearing the car instead of sitting you know it's that we're (laughs) it's a little toy but here's the dilemma the guy the driver speaks no English and, and we can't speak his language. And so we're trying to figure out how do we tell him we want to go to the, to the, uh, the, the mall. And, um, and so he's being nice and smiling and nodding. And uh, by the way, many of the people in the service industry o- over there speak English or speak enough English to communicate. But this guy, he spoke none. And so we got one of the guys at the hotel to tell him we wanted to go to the mall. We figured if he could get us there, we'd find a way to get back. And so it's raining. Did I tell you it's raining? I mean, the rain is coming down big time. And so we get in this little Corolla, all three of us, and, and uh, Bill, my friend, is in the front seat with his knees up to his chin, and I got the whole back seat, all of it. And I'm sitting in the back kind of in between, spread out, and here we go. We're taking, and this guy is flying. You know, it's flying, and we're on. We're flying down this four-lane highway uh, in town, and and we're coming up on an intersection with another four-lane highway, and there are red lights there and everything. And here we come. We're flying toward that intersection, and suddenly I realized that the light had turned pink. Y'all know what a pink red light is? It's the one right before. That transitions after yellow, but right before red, kind of becomes pink. Some of y'all are trying to figure that out. I, okay, I'm not serious. I mean, it's that close. It's kind of red, but we called it pink. And we are flying in the rain, and I see this. And now my friend Bill is trying to talk to this guy, even though the guy understands no English, and we do we don't understand his language, but. But Bill is trying to talk to me, hey, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just watching in the back because I think this is dangerous. And, and so the light begins to change. And we're in that, have you ever been in that no man's land in a vehicle where you know, I don't think I can stop. 
I've got to keep going and get on through this thing, but I know when I do, I'm going through a red light. Well, that's where we were, in the rain. Did I tell you it was raining? And did I tell you we were in this little Toyota Corolla? We are flying, and suddenly the traffic from the other side starts releasing, and there they go. They start going, and here we come. And I'm thinking, this is a, this is a wipeout. This is a wreck. This is not. And so, um, for some reason, the driver decides at the last minute, instead of going on through, he decides to slam on the brakes. <laughs> Did I tell you it was raining? <laughs> and when he slams on the brakes, have you figured it out? Here's what happens. That little Toyota, which was overloaded, begins to go. We went into full spins, about five of them. And we're going through the intersection, and there are cars coming. Did I tell you there are cars coming? And, and I'm, here's what I'm doing. I'm cool, calm, and screaming. Ah! I'm screaming. <laughs> God is good. We spun five times through a four-lane intersection, never touched anybody. <laughs> it was like Frogger. <laughs> We come out on the other side. The car stops. We're in the lane we should be in, and we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> but we stop, and I stop screaming at that point. The driver, you can tell he's horrified at what has just happened. He, he, he can't even mumble in his own language. He is doing this, I promise. He's like he's catatonic. I thought we were going to have to slap him back into reality. He's a, my friend does this. He goes, hey, man. <laughs> Good job. I can't say anything. My voice is gone. <laughs> and we head on. You know, trials are a little bit like that. You know they can happen. You just don't always anticipate it, right? You just, I, you, we all know what can happen in a setting like I was in, but you don't anticipate that sort of thing. Trials are kind of like that. And, and we don't always anticipate them and even if we do anticipate them, we realize sometimes we can't, we can't prevent them, can we? And sometimes it feels like we're just in a spin. Have you ever felt like that? You're just in a spin. And, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. You feel helpless. I felt helpless um, in that moment because I didn't know what the, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be like. Well, in those moments, in those times in your life where things feel like they're spinning out of control, there's one thing that you need maybe more than anything else, and that is you need the wisdom of God. God, I, I need you. I, don't, I, I can't prevent this. I don't know what's going to come of this, but God, you do. And I need to know how to respond with your wisdom. Well, James gives us some, some counsel about that in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so if you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me and follow along as we begin reading chapter 1, verse 5. This is our latest series called Faith, Just Live It. And today my message is entitled, Wise Up. In other words, get smart. James says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Will you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. 
There are some of you, most likely, as we've said every week, talking about trials that are going through some things right now that are just testing you or maybe shaking your soul. There are some difficulties you're facing, and you just don't know what to do uh, about those. Would you, would you do something this morning? Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need wisdom. I need God's wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All over, all over this building. Yeah. Lord Jesus, you see the hands that have been raised And Lord, we pray that you'll give us wisdom. Lord, those who are right now dealing with things, facing things that cause them to need supernatural wisdom. The world's full of wisdom, but it just doesn't work, Father, when we're facing the trials and the sufferings and the difficulties that come our way. So would you take your word this morning? And would you minister to our hearts and to those in particular that have raised their hands that are right now, they just don't know what the next step is, and they need wisdom to make those right decisions. So will you speak? Father, will you teach us from your word? And now, Lord, I pray that all that I say will have upon it the fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. I, Lord, I give you my study on this passage. I give you the words that I speak. I give you the thoughts of my mind. Take them captive to obedience to you. And Lord, Cause us to receive the message you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the verses that we just read uh, are often referred to outside of the context that they were written in. Let me, let me explain. Uh, it's not unusual for Christians to say something like this to one another. Well, just ask God for wisdom because God has plenty of wisdom, right? That's not unusual for us to ask. And by the way, it's okay to do that. It certainly makes sense. It's really a no-brainer in some respects. But uh, often we, we refer to this verse outside of the context in which it was written. And it is what you might call one of those transcendent principles of Scripture. A transcendent principle means this, that the principle and the context are not necessarily the same thing. This is one of those occasions where the principle transcends even the context. And I'll get to the context here in just a second. But that means the principle is real. So if you need wisdom, you can ask God for wisdom. And God has wisdom, and he will give you wisdom if you belong to him. And this is written, by the way, to Christians. Remember, James says to those who are scattered abroad uh, from the diaspora, the dispersion of the saints who were uh, scattered throughout the uh, then-known world, And so he says, so if you ask, but the context now, the context is specific. Remember how James starts this book off, count it all joy, uh, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials and, and uh, so that's how he starts off. And so we've talked about that sort of thing, but did you know that this is still a part of the context of trials? And here's what James is really saying. So count it all joy. That's not happiness, remember, but count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith and on it goes. And then he leads into this. And if you lack wisdom, that's the way you might connect this. And if you lack wisdom, ask God uh, and God will give it to you. He will give it to you generously and without reproach. And so the context in which he says that makes that statement that we often quote as Christians, the context is actually in the setting where you're facing some trial or you're facing some difficulty and you just don't know what to do. And you need some kind of wisdom. You need a, a, a supernatural kind of wisdom. And interestingly enough, it's important to understand that, that the best way to, <clears throat> to understand what he's saying here is that he's not saying, do you, Wally, do you lack wisdom? Answer yes or no. That's not what he's saying. He's making this rhetorical statement. Y'all know what a rhetorical statement is? It's when you ask something, a a statement, and and you already know the answer when you ask. So James is saying this, and you can accurately translate this way. If any of you lack wisdom, and you all do, then ask God, and he'll give you wisdom. And he'll give it to you generously. And so it's not a do you... Lack wisdom, the fact is you do. 
So God has it. Now, why is God's wisdom so important to you when you face trials? Well, one reason is because God sees the end from the beginning. The Bible says God sees the end from the beginning. That means God knows how the whole thing plays out. And so you need his wisdom because you don't. And so you need to know, how do I take the next step? And how do I take the next step? How? I've got God's wisdom because I don't know how all of this plays out, but he does. He knows the end from the beginning. You also need his wisdom because our tendency is to try to make sense out of everything that we face, all the trials with our own logic and our own knowledge, right? We try to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I want to tell you something this morning. Sometimes you can't figure it out in your own logic. Let me just tell you something else that I've told you. We may not understand the trials, the fiery trials that Peter talked about, we talked about last week. We might not understand the fiery trials until we get into the kingdom. God is not obligated to say, I'm going to explain it to you or I'm going to make it make sense to you, though sometimes he does. And sometimes it's usually only in looking back that we begin to see what God was doing through that fiery trial or that soul shaking, whatever it may have been. And so our problem is the reason we need God's wisdom is because we try to figure it all out on our own. You ever do that? I'm trying to make sense of all of this, and sometimes you just can't. So so you need wisdom that's supernatural. You need God's wisdom. And then without God's wisdom, our trials can do something very destructive to us. They can make us bitter. They can make us bitter. So you need God's wisdom because if you don't have God's wisdom, it is very possible that your trials your test, your difficulties, your suffering may in fact cause you to become bitter. Because you see, as we talked about two weeks ago, the devil will take anything he can use against your soul to shake it. So the devil, if you don't have the wisdom of God going through the difficulty, guess what the devil will do? He'll try to use it to do what? To create anger and bitterness toward God. And I told you before, the reason he does that is just because he hates God. Not because he can have you if you're his, uh, the child of God, but because he hates, he hates God. And then, of course, uh, verse 4 reminds us, verse 4 connects verse 5. How about that? And when they connect, guess what? They're connecting wisdom. James is connecting wisdom with what he said in verse 4, which is about uh, spiritual maturity. So the wisdom of God is needed in our life so that we can become mature spiritually. So the question is not, will I face trials, but rather, how will I face those trials when they come? Will I face them with my own limited kind of wisdom? Remember what the Bible says about that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of destruction. So will I try to face trials with my own limited wisdom or with the supernatural wisdom of God? And in our passage today, James helps us to understand this significant spiritual resource for facing trials. Wisdom, God's wisdom, is a significant resource in your arsenal as you face the trials. So let me show you some things here this morning. First thing I want you to see is the reason for God's wisdom. Verse 5, James talks about if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who give. If any of you, as I said, it's a rhetorical statement. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. If any of you lack wisdom, and, and we do, and if you lack it when you're facing trials, and you do, then ask God. That's the reason. You need it because you don't have the kind of wisdom that you have to have to face your trials effectively. This is about spiritual wisdom. It's not about earthly smarts. And the point that I think James is making for us is that in and of ourselves, the kind of wisdom that will get us through is something that evades our our flesh, and so we have to have it from God. Anna Merlin um, is an American journalist, and in 2019, she wrote a book entitled Republic of Lies, an American conspiracy theorist. And she devotes in this book a whole chapter to the psychology behind UFO conspiracies. We've heard a lot in recent weeks about UFO. Congress has held hearings about UFOs or uh, UAPs, I think is what they call them now. But she writes a whole chapter about UFO conspiracies and the psychology behind all of that. And um, 
And, and, and this is what she writes. She, she says, the intensity, the depth, and breadth of conversation about aliens throughout the world says something profound about the human's hopes, about our desire to not be alone in the universe, about our, listen to this, our wish for some wise and mysterious force out there in the farthest reaches of space that is ready to show us the way. She says there's a sense that extraterrestrials don't just exist, but that they will at some point in time reveal to us a better way to live, a higher state of being. We're looking for for this, she says, because they'll show us a better way. They'll They'll give us some wisdom about life. And then she goes on to quote a leading ufologist, Jacques Vallée, who wrote himself, and I quote, the UFO mystery holds a mirror to our own fantasies. It expresses our, listen to this, it expresses our secret longings for a wisdom that might come down from the stars in new, improved, easy-to-use packaging to reveal the secrets of life and to tell us at long last who we are. You know, the fact is we already have access to wisdom that comes down from above and it's not some new age kind of wisdom. It's old age wisdom. It's from God. It's His wisdom. And listen, it's available to us not through some alien encounter not through some spaceship, whatever you may believe about those things. But James tells us that it is available to us for the asking. It's available to us from God through His Word and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we really need it because trials frequently cause us to make decisions, don't they? Have you ever noticed that? Your trials, your difficulties frequently kind of force some decision. You have to make some choice. Almost always, I won't say all of them do, but almost all of them put you in a place where you have to make some kind of choice, right? It may be some financial trial. It may be a relational trial. It may be a vocational or work-related. It could be education. Whatever it is, it's rarely the case that the trial or difficulty you are facing does not demand some kind of choice. So you have to have wisdom, don't you? You need wisdom from God because you almost always will have to make decisions in the midst of trials or difficulties. And then trials also cause us not only to have to make decisions, they cause us to have to take directions. Many trials alter the course of your life. Many trials alter the course of your life. Many things that come to shake you or Many difficulties that you have to live with or live in or face can often change the direction of your life, the way you're walking, the path you're walking on, and sometimes forever. And so what do you need? We need the supernatural wisdom of God. And how do you get that? Well, that leads to the second thing I want you to note, and that is not only the reason for wisdom, the request of wisdom, the request of God's wisdom. Verse 5, again, he says, so if you lack it, and you do, okay, you got that? You lack it, and you do, all of us do, then let him ask God. Let him ask. God has plenty of wisdom. God has, look, the picture isn't that God has a limited amount. It is an unlimited amount, a surplus. And by the way, not just you say, well, he has wisdom for them, but he won't have enough left for me. If he knew what, what I was facing and how much wisdom I needed, I'd use it up real quick. Just not true. The point is he has a surplus of wisdom for all of those who are his that will come to him and ask. He has all the wisdom you need, but here it is. You've got to ask for it. This is relational. You have to ask for it. I read about uh, an incident that occurred uh, a few years ago. Warren Buffett, many of you know the name Warren Buffett. He's probably considered one of the greatest investors in our day and age. And at, at one point in time, I don't know if it's still true, he was considered the second wealthiest man on the planet. I don't know if that's still true, but he's in the top five, I would think, and he's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars, and people seek his wisdom when it comes to investing. What is Warren Buffett buying? What does Warren Buffett say about the market? What you do? If we could just talk with him. And so he decided 
back, I don't know, a decade or so ago to do something to raise money for one of his charitable foundations. And here's what he said. What I'll do is auction off an hour lunch meeting with me, and the person who, who wins that auction can spend an hour with me at lunch and ask me anything they want about investing, and I'll give my best wisdom and counsel to them. And so they enacted this auction, and um, the man who won it, won it uh, he paid $315,000 plus dollars to have an hour with Warren Buffett in order to get his wisdom on investing. He won that. And, and uh, so, wow, that's, that's a lot of money for an hour lunch with, with um, and by the way, I'll take you out for a lot cheaper, okay, if you, <laughs> but <clears throat> isn't it ironic that we as God's people have access to the greatest mind and power in the universe at no charge, but frequently fail to take advantage of it. Do we recognize the value of God's wisdom, the value of God's word, and the value of having access to the eternal God, the eternal creator? Do we recognize the value of that? James is trying to help these believers understand what they have access to, but they got to ask for it. And the reason you should ask for the wisdom of God is because he tells us right there that God is a giving God. He'll give it if we ask for it. But he waits for us to ask for it. It's kind of like if you're a parent and your kids have any capability at communicating in human language, one of the things a parent will often do is know what their child needs but not respond to it until they're asked. Right? Do you know that's a relational thing? Why is that? Because parents want their children to understand you didn't get here by yourself. You are here because I am here. I want you to learn that I have access to things that can make your life better, but you got to ask. Our daughter, when she was, she's 34 now, but when she was young, one of the things I loved is that if she had a toy that would break, Chuck, she would bring the toy to me and say, Daddy, fix it. Because she just assumed that I could fix anything. And um, I knew I couldn't, but she didn't. And so if I could fix it, I fixed it. Because she asked me to fix it, and I wanted her to know that Daddy could do things for her. In fact, I cheated some. If it was beyond repair, that's what the store is for. <laughs> they have one just like it. Here, look. Oh, thank you, Daddy. Yeah, I got that. Well, listen, God wants you to understand something. He wants you to ask, not because he doesn't know what you need. He knows you need wisdom because he's got it. And he wants you to look to him to be the source. He wants you to know he's the fixer. You get it? Y'all get that? He wants you to know that. And so, so <clears throat> he's a generous God and he gives without reproach, by the way, it says, you know what that means? He gives without reproach. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to give more to them and less to them. Their past is worse. This child of mine, they have, their past is a whole lot worse than this one's path, uh, past is. And so I'm not going to give you as much because you blew it too many times. But I'm going to give without reproach. He doesn't, he doesn't grade on the curve. He says, you're my child, you're my child. If you will ask, I will give without reproach. Well, he was a much better, uh, a better human than you were. No, you're my child. You're my child. I want to take care of my children. And if they're smart enough to come and ask, I will give them wisdom. And by the way, I didn't, you, you notice there's something I haven't said yet. I haven't said that you will always appreciate God's wisdom. 
And that's a whole other subject matter because sometimes Christians get themselves in trouble because God, God counsels them, God gives them wisdom through His Word and through the Spirit of God, and yet they will sometimes say, no, that's not the wisdom I wanted. And they'll do their own thing. And uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of destruction. Do you know when Jeremiah the prophet was trying to warn the people of God about Babylon, what was coming, their captivity? You know what they said Jeremiah would do? Instead of receiving his counsel, receiving the wisdom God was speaking through him to them, they said, no, we don't like your counsel. So we have found some counselors or some prophets that will say to us what we want to hear. And we like that. And by the way, that's a reminder of something. You know, always go with God's counsel first. No matter what it is, go with God first, always. Because you're going to have people... One of the things we do when we need counsel is we often we turn to people around us. And that's not all bad. The Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But be careful where, how and where you get that multitude. And because, let me tell you something, your friends are generally going to give you counsel that is consistent with what they know you want to hear because they love you. Your family is going to tend to give you counsel that they know you want to hear. Okay, Sometimes it's right, but always say, first and foremost, what does God say? What is the wisdom of God? And if this other counsel is not aligned with the counsel of God, always go with God. No matter how much the people around you love you, no matter how much, I was, uh, years ago, uh, I was called uh, to go and pastor a church in St. Petersburg, Florida. It was a church that had died. I mean, literally, it had died. And I met with them. I really wasn't planning to do it, but I didn't want to seem like a pastoral snob and turn them down and so I met with them and uh, told Allison I said we're just going to lay all our cards on the table and I said by the time that meeting's over they're not going to want me and just the opposite happened by the time that meeting was open they were high-fiving saying man this is what we want this is what we need and everything and we walked out Allison and I walked out we got in the car and prayed and I said I want to tell you something I think God's about to do something in this place and we began we moved from I'm not going to do it to yeah, maybe we need to pray about this series. We did. Long story short, we began to say, God, take, take us down there. So I told, I went to one of my friends and I said, look, here's the deal. And, and this is what my friend said. Ray, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. He said, that church has death. It's been, it's had death written all over it. And he said, don't you, you know, it had been, one day it had been in our Southern Baptist Convention, it had been what they considered a bellwether church in our convention, but it had died down to about 50, 75 people. He said, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And I said this to him, I said, well, I said, here's my problem. God's told me to go do it. Now, my friend had just told me not to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So you would expect him to take the next step and try to talk me out of it, right? Say, but no, here's five reasons. You know what he said? He said, then you got to do it. He said, if God's told you to do it, you got to do it. I did, and by the way, it was sweet. God was going to, God did some phenomenal things. It wasn't because of me. He, look, he, God could have God done it with anybody. I just begged him to let me be a part of what he was about to do, and he did. But my friend was smart enough at the point in time I said, but, but Jesus has told me to do it. So then you've got to do it. You've got to do it. So be careful. Make sure the counsel that you get around you is consistent with the counsel of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, and God has promised to answer. So we pray for wisdom. We pray for wisdom because of dependence, uh, like a child with a father. We pray for it because of desire. I want what God wants for me, and we pray for it out of desperation. You know, I said this Monday night, the end of our meeting Monday night, last Monday night, God loves desperate children. You know why? Because when you get to that place of desperation, God knows you're listening. God knows you'll hear him. But, and that's why, by the way, trials are great great seasons of growth in our life unless we get bitter 
Because we listen, we start listening like never before. And guess what happens? We grow and we mature and we become equipped for whatever is next. Number three, number three, I want you to see the requirement of wisdom. Look at the requirement of wisdom. Okay, so we got to pray, all right? But then he says, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. He gives generously without reproach. It will be given to him. But let him ha- ask how, class? How? How do you ask? Y'all see it there? You got your Bible open? Let him ask how? In faith. The essential requirement for the wisdom of God is that, that faith has to be the engine behind our prayers. Our prayers for wisdom are not to alternate between faith and unbelief. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But we must endure with confident faith that God is going to answer the request for wisdom because he's promised that. If he's promised that, then I can believe that and I can receive the wisdom that God has for me. I don't know if you've ever read about, you know, 22 years, I've talked about a man named George Mueller a lot. If you, listen to me, if you have not read a, a, a biography on George Mueller, you find one. There are small ones, there are big ones, but you find a, a biography on George Mueller. I don't know of a guy in our Christian history that demonstrated believing faith and prayer to any capacity greater than George Mueller did. And George Mueller, um, in 1835, he began taking care of orphan children. He believed God had called him to that. And he made a commitment, Lord, I'll take care of them. I'll never ask a, a person for a penny. You, you, I'll, I'll trust you to provide. And so he began, 1830, by 1836, he had, I don't know, 26 orphans. And he had more coming in to the system and applying. Uh, and then within a few years, he was taking care of several thousand and he had to build facilities and that required money and all of that but and then he had to feed them some remarkable stories about that but but these thousands of orphans that he took care of he took care of them he said by by prayer that he never did ask anyone and he said for nearly 70 years every need in connection with this work has been supplied every need He was talking to a friend and he emphasized his dependence on God for help. And he said, during these years, I've been enabled to trust God for help, uh, trust in God for help, and I've trusted only in the living God and Him alone. We have at times needed as much as $250,000 in one year. Now you say, well, that by today's scale isn't much, but in in the 1830s, that was mega bucks. And he said, sometimes we've needed that much. And it has all come in by the time it has been needed. And then he adds this. No man on earth can say that I've ever asked him for a penny. And listen to this, he says. All has come in answer to believing prayer. To believing prayer. Well, in a similar way, we have a need that only God can meet. It is the need for his wisdom in the face of life and trials. And what James tells us here is that it is tapped, we, the way we tap this significant resource to help us is through believing prayer. The same thing that Mueller did and understood about running that orphanage, you might even say was also a prayer of faith for wisdom, but, but we, we in like manner say, God, this is what I need. I don't possess this. But for me to face what I'm facing, I need wisdom, supernatural wisdom, and I, I believe by faith that you have the wisdom I need, and I want to receive that. Because you see, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please Him. It's not almost impossible. It says it is impossible to please Him. But I have to tell you, there's some times when I've struggled to believe Him. Have you? I love the story where the man came to Jesus with, I believe it was his son that needed to be healed. Do you remember that story? And he says, Lord, if you can, would you heal my son? And Jesus says back to him, you can kind of picture this. Can you picture this in the mind? The man's staying there. He needs this son healed. And he he says, can you heal? If you can heal him, what do you want? If you could, would would you heal my son? 
Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus says, if? Can you picture that in your mind? Jesus looking at him and going, if I can heal your son? Almost as if to say, not mean, but almost to say, you do know who I am, don't you? That's why you're here, aren't you? You didn't come here because, because you didn't think I could do this, did you? So why if? And then Jesus adds, all things are possible to him that believes. All, if? All things are possible to him that believes. And don't you love his response? You, you know the story? Don't you love the man's response? The man's response has helped me so many times. He says, listen, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that great? Man, I've used that many times. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know what he's saying? Lord, I believe up here. I've heard about you. I knew what you have I've been told you could do. Up here, I believed it. But now here I am in the moment. Lord, <laughs> really? Can you do it? Lord, I believe up here. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And, Jesus, and, and, and that statement re reflected just enough belief. Didn't, not a lot. It wasn't great faith. Jesus didn't say, he, he did say of others, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. He didn't say that about this guy, but he said, I'll do that. I'll do that. And he did. And a miracle was uh, performed. The Bible says without faith, you cannot please God. Faith alone, you see, opens the door of God's treasury to needed wisdom in the face of your trials. But there's one final thing I want to show you this morning, and that is I want you to see the restriction of wisdom. Verses 7 and 8, for that person was not supposed that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's a doubter. That's the restriction. There's a requirement. Faith is a requirement, but doubting is the opposite side of that, and that restricts God's ability to give. You restrict it, you limit God's ability to give you the wisdom that you need. Doubting God is serious business. It's serious business because it implies that you and I have a low view of God. So we have to come to Him with this confidence, this faith that we've just talked about because the Bible says that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. My faith. There's an, there's an old African proverb, I love it, describes double-mindedness. And he calls the person that, that doubts double-minded. You know, belief, unbelief, they can't ever quite get on the same page. There's this African proverb that said, describes double-mindedness like this. It says, the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. <laughs> Isn't that good? It's true. The man who tries to try it. You try it. You try to walk two roads, so you can't do it. And uh, he says, so let not this person that's double-minded think that they will receive what they're asking from God. Because double-mindedness is doubting God. It's not being able to get on the same page with God's wisdom. You know what it's like to be double-minded, don't you? You, you know, uh, listen, if you're married, you do. If you're married, you do, because you say... Let's go eat. <laughs> Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, I want to go wherever you want to go. Well, I want to go wherever you want to go. Okay, let's go here. No, I don't, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Y'all been there? Mm-hmm. You've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I told that story in the first hour, and I had a couple come up to me <laughs> in the second, after the first hour out in the Welcome Center and say, Pastor, we're having that double-minded thing about lunch. <laughs> you know? We, we understand, we get that, but Jesus says when it comes to trusting Him that that doesn't work. 
that, that double-mindedness will get you nothing. In fact, he describes the person who's double-minded as unstable. They're unstable in all their ways. And you know what he equates it to? He equates it to the waves of the sea. He said, man, they're up and down, they're up and down, they're up and down, they're up and down. I'm convinced of this. The devil is perfectly satisfied if he can just get you to ride the waves of belief and unbelief, belief and unbelief, belief and unbelief, right? If he can just get you to ride the wave. Well, well, I believe now. I'm kind of doubting. I believe. I don't believe. The devil loves to get you to ride the waves of doubt. Why? Because if he can get you to doubt... He effectively renders you ineffective in your faith and your walk with God. And so he wants you to, to doubt. And nothing, nothing has a tendency to produce that sort of thing in us like trials do, right? God, what's going on? Okay, God, I, I, I give it to you. You got this, God. Oh, the next day, the next hour, you're going, huh? Doesn't feel because our flesh is so strong and it fights our faith. So you see, he says, failure to endure with faith in prayer is an indicator of the doubter's general character. Faith and confidence, faith and trust in prayer are essential to gain wisdom for your trials. It's not about supply. God has all you need. If that's where you are today, and many of you raised your hands around this, this uh, worship center this morning, understand that it's not a supply. It's not a supply chain issue. It's a faith matter. Because he said, if you'll come in faith, ask me, I'll give it. I've got plenty. I will never run out of it. And, and when you need it, you ask for it, and I will give it to you. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of you watching by live stream or television, listening on radio, as well as all of us here in this place. I, I, I suspect there are a numbers of people that are just facing some difficulties. Or maybe like the message I preached recently on your, your faith has been rocked, and, and you're you're, just, you're struggling with these things. And these things are tearing at you. They're tearing at your walk with God. They're tearing at your soul. In fact, they may be things that you can't even explain. You, you, you just don't understand. And it's okay, by the way, if God doesn't tell you. But God will take you through them. And He will be with you. And He will give you wisdom so you can get to the other side of the intersection. So let me encourage you not to give up. James tells us that in the early part of that chapter. He says that your trials have the capacity to produce endurance and steadfastness. That's where you are right now. Can I just say to you, don't give up. Don't give in. Hang on. By faith, trust God to walk you to the next place because he sees the end from the beginning. Number two, ask him for wisdom. That's what we've been told. That's what the message, the bulk of this message is about is just asking him and believing because he has all that we need. And then number three, I want to say this. Trust Christ as your Savior if you have not. Trust Christ as your Savior if you have not. You see... The wisdom that he's talking about here comes from God, but did you know who he's talking to? He's talking to Christians. Those who have a relationship with God. Those who have a relationship with Christ. If you want access to this supernatural wisdom, let's back all the way up and start right there. Trust Christ as your Savior. And you can do that in just a moment. In just a moment, we're wrapping up, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And then finally, I would tell you, link up with God's family. Why? You need a support network under you. You need a support. You know, our staff prays every Sunday morning. We pray for several things, but we pray, I guess, almost every Sunday. Um, we ask God 
to let us be encouragers to people all over this campus. That he would use the words that we speak, whether we know a person needs encouragement, but our, our, the things that we say would be useful to people that we talk to. Because we don't know where all of us are, do we? We, we don't know. And so we say, God, just use it in, in ways. And we ask him uh, to do that. Why? That's a benefit of the family, of being with the family. I thank God for all of our media and uh, all of those things. It enables us to get God's message out from people in unusual circumstances, people that can't physically uh, join us and all of those sorts of things. And I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for uh, that audience. I, I'm glad you tune in to everything. I wish you could be here, though. Lynn and I were talking about it in between services about the difference in being in the physical gathering is just something different about it. It is the sense of God's presence and everything. And I, I get it. I get reasons why people can't. But you still, even if you can't physically get here, you can connect with this family. If you're here and you don't have a family, a church family, you've been looking for one. I hope that this will become that place for you. We're not a perfect church. We're a healthy church. I'm not a perfect pastor, you know. I'm a part of the, the journey. But this is a place that you can find encouragement and help when you are facing the difficulties and the trials. And the, that's what part of the role of God's family is. And so this morning, Bradley, come on up if you will. I want to invite you to stand with me. And so we're going to have an invitation. You can use, you know, there's a tear-off panel, and you can make a decision there, and you can take that by the Welcome Center desk. You can drop it in the baskets in the back, and, and we'll take it from there, and we'll follow up with you and, and that sort of thing. But, but I, want to, I want to encourage you to do what people do about every week, and that is they come and, and, and say, Pastor, I want to join today, or Pastor, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Uh, we had the opportunity to, to talk with a, well, I won't tell you, it's a long story, a couple uh, out at a restaurant this, a couple weeks ago, and I've already found out that now they are witnessing to their fellow employees. Uh, they're witnessing to their fellow employees. Um, and that's the kind of place that we want to be. That's the kind of people we want you to to connect with. And so we'd love to have you here today. You might want to come and pray around the altar. You know, that's why we, the altars are mentioned in the Bible. Some are good, some are bad. This is a good one because this is an opportunity for you to get before the living God. Maybe you have decisions that you're praying about or people that you're praying about. Maybe there's a trial or something somebody's going through and I want you to come and use this. Kneel before him. Would you do that? Whatever the decision is, you slip out ground floor, balcony, you come on. We're here to receive you. Staff will be on, on the aisles here. I invite you as Bradley plays and leads us to slip out and come on.